Welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal in the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hi everyone, this is Merod, and today on Streams of Progress, I'm joined by Jean-Michel Gauthier, the CEO of InternsMe. During the discussion, we covered his insights into youth employment and the role of internships within the workforce. So join us as we dive into the conversation. So today we're sitting down with Jean-Michel Gauthier, the CEO of InternsMe. InternsMe, for people who don't know, is the leading platform connecting students and graduates to top companies across the MENA region for internships, traineeships, freelancing, and full-time job opportunities. Thanks for hosting us in your lovely office. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So before we get into Interns Me and the full story and all the great work you guys are doing with uh, youth employment in the region, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Uh, so I grew up here in Dubai. Um, I attended Dubai College when I was 18. I left to go to the UK where I did a master's in pharmacy at King's College. While I was studying pharmacy, I launched my first startup I was 21 at the time, and we brought the world's fastest gaming PC to Dubai. Um, obviously, I was heavily into gaming, and it just seemed like a good opportunity to 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 bring a good product here. So we sold that in Sharaf DG. We sold that uh, also via uh, private networks. Uh, we ended up selling into like some sheikhs, majlises, and things like that. So it was a great experience for me, sort of early on in my career. Um, but I went on to get some experience working as a pharmacist. Uh, I got that experience in the UK. I worked in the NHS, and I worked in a private chain of pharmacies. My goal was to come back to Dubai and and do something in healthcare. So I returned to Dubai in about 2012. There was a lot going on at the time, um, and I spent a year helping one of my family businesses structure a shareholder exit. And at the same time, um, I, I felt that, well, the UAE healthcare market is pretty different than the UK, um, and I needed to get some local experience. So I worked for a uh, local pharmaceutical distributor. As I was getting that experience and working in that company, we didn't have a dedicated HR recruiting function. So I basically became the de facto HR manager trying to improve our recruiting practices and and bring in better talent. Um, It was through that process that I kind of discovered the opportunity uh, to do something a bit different that, you know, we were using the sort of mainstream job portals and having a pretty poor experience with them trying to hire graduates. So I discovered the opportunity um, there that, well, there's kind of an unmet need here for companies. And then also thinking about the other side, what, what are the challenges facing the youth? Um, and, and both on a micro and macro level, there seem to be um, you know, some challenges facing young people and opportunities for us to, to, to build that service. So with my co-founder, Jason, we, uh, we kicked things off at, at InternsMe. Um, and so that was about four years ago. So let me just rewind a second. So you actually said while you were studying, you launched gaming rigs, right? It was tough, man. Like my, my parents didn't, I really wanted to drop out because I, suddenly this thing like picked up momentum and we were getting a few early orders in, but my parents were like, no way, not after you know, how many years you've, you've put into to, to this course and, and you're so close to the end. Uh, it doesn't make sense. So, so, you know, we totally veto that idea. And I was, I was glad, you know, in the end that they did. Um, but it was tough. Like I, I remember studying for like my third year exams whilst on a plane back and forth to Dubai. Uh, during that period, I had taken sort of 10 flights back and forth trying to get things set up here. And as someone uh, really young without much experience, I didn't entirely know what I was doing. 
uh, we just kind of got a bit lucky, I guess, that we, 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 we found a great company in the UK that had a really good product that was certified at the time, world's fastest PC. Um, and so obviously that, that makes a lot of sense for the Dubai market. We, we love things here that are fastest and best. Um, and, and, and then through connections, we got that meeting with the big electronics retailer and it just seemed to kind of tick their box. So we got in um, relatively easily. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a huge learning experience for me. Um, and, and it was really through that process that I guess I, I really caught the entrepreneurial bug that I, I realized at that point, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be able to do anything that's, you know, not my own. Um, it just, it just felt so right. And it was just so like, it, it just didn't feel like work. I remember that first night writing up, uh, the business plans and writing up our first sort of like MOU with the with a retailer and uh, I didn't even realize that it was 4am and I fell asleep on my laptop and that's the beauty of it right that if it's something you really enjoy then you don't you don't count the hours you don't you don't watch the clock um it doesn't feel like work yeah exactly just thinking of how operationally that works so did you have a team in Dubai as well or was everything done from the UK but you had your retailer and distribution set up here yeah well there really wasn't much of a company um, at all. It was it was literally just me and uh, my partner at the time, who um, who I've stayed in in close contact with, and that we ended up doing other business ventures with. Who's actually now a board member with us here at Interns Me. Um, so I mean that was great because it was through that process that that we got to work together and we built that trust. And and then when the Interns Me opportunity came around, it's kind of a no brainer for us to work again uh, together. But uh, you know, to answer your question, I know we had no staff, <laughs> you know, I didn't even know back then how to go about something like recruiting or inspiring or even the basic thing of writing a job description was like, you know, I think back then um, that would have been something very new and alien to me. So let's get back to interns me now. Start off with you having to set up the HR functions for the family business or the business you were involved with. And then you realize how there was a big lack in the market you're trying to use existing tools on the market or platforms in the marketplace there isn't too much depth or understanding about the candidates and that's when was it you and your co-founder jason yeah so so there's a couple of things happening in, in parallel there one was my personal experience trying to hire graduates um for that business which is um it's actually it's, it's a great uh, sme they're they're doing really well at the moment it's called lunatus um, and so I was trying to, um, yeah, I was using some of these platforms and I was trying to hire graduates and having a pretty poor experience. Um, concurrently, uh, the, the people that have become my, my partners and board members and interns, me, were having their own um, experiences and challenges in this domain. One of them was struggling to get his younger brother that was like trilingual driving license, super talented, hardworking guy. Um, trying to help the guy get his first job and finding most doors closed or uh, employers having a, a you know variety of excuses as why they wouldn't hire a young person. Um, and so, you know, for each of us, there was something that kind of brought us to the same point together in terms of um, realizing the challenge f- uh, facing young people and the opportunity then in the region. Um, of course, uh, even back then, you know, the, the statistics aren't much better today. But when we started to see the scale of the problem back then, we just did a, a little bit of you know, research on this. What are the youth unemployment rates? Um, even back then when we started in you know, 2000, 2013, 2014, um, super high, right? The Middle East had the highest youth unemployment rates in the world. We still do. 
Um, in fact, in some in some of the in some of the countries, it's getting uh, worse day by day. So it was something that we we could relate to on a very sort of uh, immediate and personal basis. But when we zoomed out of that and looked at the macro view, it was also something that we thought, well, you know, damn, the sort of macroeconomic implications of this are are huge, and it's something that needs to be addressed. There's a lot of people recognizing the problem, but not a lot of people doing anything about it. So it quickly became something that we felt very passionate about. And that's super important, I feel, when you're starting uh, any sort of new venture, because um, I think if, if you're if you're if you're launching a project without that, you know, without that core driver or that core passion, something that you'll happily stay up till the you know late hours of the morning working towards, then um, then it's unlikely that you'll have the the energy to take this through for. You know, it takes years really to establish something and, and, and get your proof of concept and get your investment in and then and then build something that will last and will be sustainable. So super important that you you establish that. And and for us, that happened very quickly. We just thought we really care about this. We can relate to it personally. We we see the big picture uh, and we really want to do something to change that. It's exactly like you said, uh, your previous venture, you were up till 4 a.m. So I imagine the same thing with trying to tackle this youth employment problem here. So when you were launching, obviously, like we've said, there were existing platforms for jobs in general. And uh, so what kind of challenges did you face going against all these established job portal sites that already existed? Well, I think the, you know, before we got overly strategic about anything, the first decision that we made was that, well, um, all of these platforms are um, sort of, they cater to the mass market. Uh, they're open to, to everyone. Um, and they're kind of like your, you know, your, Carrefour or your union co-op that they 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 have everything for everyone, um, and we knew that wouldn't work. It wasn't our goal to try to be everything to everyone, and and it wouldn't work anyway because you already have good platforms, you know, um, filling that sort of position in the market. So the first thing that we did, without getting overly strategic, was well, let us just focus on the youth. Let us make this actually a, a gated platform so that people with a lot of experience can't come in and compete with young people because that, that won't be fair. Um, and we're going to tell employers that on this platform you will you will only find interns and recent graduates with no more than two years of work experience. So I guess that was the first um, differentiation decision that we made that really just you know gave us uh, gave us a niche positioning in the market. So you know we purposefully sacrificed the the you know a large part of the market saying well let's just focus on doing one thing really well um, and so we became that kind of you know boutique homely sort of um, food store right if we're continuing with the analogy of the supermarkets right um, so you know we we would just focus on, on on a small part of the market but we would try to be the best at that yeah so that's like your core product offering like focus on internships and recent graduates so speaking of that your offerings there's one thing if anyone goes through your site they'll notice it's not just internships there's something called traineeships if you could for our audience just explain what the difference is between an internship and a traineeship yeah it's actually it's actually one of the the challenges that we face that because our uh, because our name kind of uh, i guess um channels us down so heavily towards internships that not a lot of people know that we have uh, also traineeships we also have graduate jobs we also have volunteering jobs or sort of uh, you know events jobs uh, available on the platform as well so sort of everything that a young person might be interested in from getting that first bit of work experience to then getting something that converts into their full-time job and then and then that first job so the traineeship is the it's an internship that someone will take close to the point of graduation 
or or recently after they've graduated. So that's basically the internship that um, at the outset, um, the premise is that, that that internship can be converted to a full-time opportunity. Um, and so um, it makes a lot of sense for people nearing their graduation once they've already got maybe one or two internships already under their belt. And they're looking at something that will will transition into that first full-time career or that first full-time job of theirs. So a lot of employers actually now are um, are posting more intern uh, more traineeships than internships uh, because you know they, they want someone that um, if they come in and they make an impact and they really like the work that they're doing they want to be able to retain that person. So an internship works great for an employer that has a seasonal requirement. Let's say let's say this is a company in the retail sector. And it's a super busy quarter for them. So it might make sense to get in interns for a period of three months. Um, and then at the end, that person's got their work experience. The company's benefited. It makes sense to, to end things there. But if you're a marketing agency and you have someone coming for a three-month period and you really like them, it's, it's, it's a shame to let them go at the end. And so those kind of companies with those kind of offerings actually prefer to make it a traineeship. So at the end of that three-month period, they're like, oh, we really like this person uh, and we want to retain, convert them into a full-time member. So that's the traineeship. If they're handling your client and then they're building up a repertoire and the client relationship is there, why not have them stay on board? Totally. And, and that's, been a lot, that's been the case with a lot of our team members here. I mean, out of the 14 team members, we have at least, I think it's four or five people that started as trainees with us. And that was great for me to, to, to bring them in when they were a fresh grad. They didn't have a lot of experience, and we kind of molded them to our culture. They kind of got to know our way of doing things. We built loyalty that way as well. Um, and, and, of course, as, as, as a startup with, without massive budgets, we were able to um, you know, we were able to keep costs relatively low at that point during the traineeship as well. And then this person has proven themselves. We're sure they're a culture fit. And then, okay, great. Now it's time to convert. Well, that's great. You're the case study for what you're selling. You have examples in-house of what the outcome can be. And, and, and a lot of the members of our sales team as well. So, I mean, a, a cool thing is when they go to, to meet clients and they impress those clients and the client's like, well, look, I'm actually hiring a salesperson, so I want to hire you. And like if I've done my job, if we've done our job correctly here at Interns Me, then they're, they're happy working here. Um, and they'll kind of resist that sort of poaching attempt. Um, but not only will they resist the poaching attempt, but they'll actually say, uh, well, actually, if you want to hire me, Interns Me found me on the site. So, you know, you, you could find, you know, you can probably find the, 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 the next cohort or the, the year below me will now be graduating. Um, and, you know, we can help you uh, find those guys on the site. And that's the perfect like, punchline at the end. Like, by the way, I came through the Interns Me program. So if we can go back to about the actual Interns Me growth and how you guys have been scaling. Like you said, you're 14 employees now. Obviously, you started off, it was just probably two or three of you. So uh, if you can just walk us through what, any challenges you faced and how you've been growing. And later we'll get into how you're actually growing beyond the UAE as well. I think the big challenge that we faced and we continue to face is that you know, we operate in, um, or I guess our, our, you know, going back to what I said about that sort of early differentiation strategy, we really carved out a little bit of a blue ocean for ourselves in that there was no other platform dedicated to serving the youth. Um, and so companies weren't hearing this message from anyone else about how, um, you know, uh, how many sort of good qualities the youth have, how much benefit they can bring to a business. So we were really kind of solo championing that cause in the market, um, 
and so a lot of a lot of sort of market education had to be done and is 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 still being done today in terms of helping companies understand why they should do this, how they should go about it. You know, some companies even today don't think it's possible. They think, oh, the regulations don't allow that. Well, actually, they do. Um, so, you know, we would have to kind of create the the content and and champion this message and have quite detailed one-on-one conversations with companies that um, would help them see how this can fit into their business model and how this can, it's not only a way of helping a young person get work experience, but you as a company can actually get ROI as well. Like, so how, how does that work? How does that fit into your departments? What, what's a realistic program for you to be offering? Um, and so our, you know, the, the sort of the, the approach of the sales team, for example, is, is, is highly consultative. So they will sit with a head of HR or a company owner and really need to spend 60 or 90 minutes maybe at a time understanding what is this company's growth objectives and how do interns or trainees or graduates fit in with that. Um, and so I guess that that has led to, um, I guess that, that's been the resistance uh, for for growth for us that, you know, we've we've scaled in the last three years, not as, not as much as we want to. Um, there's a few other reasons there that obviously, um, you know, the amount of financing that you have, et cetera, comes into play. Um, but we think now, now is a good point that we've kind of accumulated a, a lot of success stories where we're almost at that tipping point that, you know, we have about a thousand companies that have worked with us to date, um, represent, you know, representing almost every sector of the economy. So whichever company that we speak to now, we have a really good repertoire of, of content and, um, uh, you know, case studies and, and, and sort of validations to, to really help them get started and to kind of overcome any misconceptions that they may have. So it's really about the initial hurdle is probably the educating the market about it's possible, the benefits of it, the return on investment for them. Yeah. I mean, now looking at your portfolio, like just looking at your site, you see you've worked with Visa, MasterCard, PwC, Nissan, Sephora, Kareem. So there's just so many brands that if you live or work in Dubai, you've seen these brands and these are international brands. So it's not even just a small local because you guys have a lot of those as well. So there's a lot of case studies and repertoire now. I assume going forward, it should be easier. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, having having such great um, companies working with us, it's, it's it's a really strong validation because, um, you know, we know other companies, other, their peers maybe in their industry or, or even outside of their industries um, look to such brands and, and, and know that they have good talent acquisition programs, know that they have well thought out HR development plans. Um, and, and we've also done other things. You know, we've got validations from, for example, Dubai SME. We were ranked there in 2015. We've recently done a partnership with DMCC. All of these things just add a lot of um, weight and credibility to to the message so that any any company that is at this stage hasn't done it yet um, has, has a lot of assurance by seeing just how many other people are doing this now. The next challenge, I assume, is uh, tackling how to expand that beyond Dubai and specifically the UAE. Are there any plans, or what's the progress on that? Definitely, I mean that's that's the, the that's the major topic for us at the moment um, on on how we do that. And the the first market that we're moving into uh, is Saudi Arabia. That's where our um, uh, upcoming investors will hopefully be based. Uh, it's where there's a huge, a huge, huge youth population, a huge opportunity for us to get in there and help that youth. At the same time, we've been keen not to rush in there. We understand that there's, you know, very 
significant differences between Saudi Arabia and the UAE and, and the other GCC countries as well. Um, and really what we want to do is, you know, we've, we've, we've been meeting with other, other successful startups that have done this. For example, Kareem, we see Kareem of having done a, an amazing job at localizing their approach in, in each country they enter. And that's something that we're very keen to do as well, so that wherever uh, wherever interns me enters, we're not seen as a as a foreign entrant, but we're felt as this is a local a local entry. Um, and so, you know, when we look at the Saudi Arabian market, we're having to do do things like slightly adjust our model. Um, some of the the pricing for employers will change. Um, some of the support that we offer to the job seekers is going to change. Obviously, everything is being Arabized. We're we're preparing all of the content and guides that we have in the in the regional uh, dialect uh, there. So we're 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 taking our time, but obviously not too much time because the need is there now um, and. Uh, we expect that really 2018 will, will be the year that we, we do Saudi Arabia. And, and if all goes to plan, then towards the end of the year, probably a couple of other countries as well. well. That's great. I mean, like you said, this youth employment issue is a macroeconomic issue and it's uh, more than just one country. It's uh, regional and in a way sometimes global. Yeah. You were talking about uh, your Saudi investors. So I don't want to get into too much detail about that, but can you just eliminate the process of uh, how you've been going around getting your funding and from when you launched to where you are now? Were you like one of those who cold call potential investors or were they coming to you? Well, again, I, I consider ourselves to be uh, pretty lucky um, in, in this respect. So when things uh, really got started in, in early 2014, um, what I did was I, I, I reached out to close close friends uh, that are angel investors and said, this is something that I'm getting involved in, something I believe in heavily. Here's the plan. Here's the roadmap ahead. Um, as, as I mentioned, it was something that, you know, through 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 various conversations, everyone everyone could relate to to the problem and to the solution that we we're trying to build. Um, so, you know, it was, it was relatively straightforward for me to, over the period of a month, get um, get angels on board. And that really allowed us to kickstart things. In summer of 2015, we did our first sort of, I guess, seed rounds involving uh, an external party. And what we did was, um, via a business angel network called Investors, we attended a pitch event, uh, which invited the alumni of the Harvard Business School that were interested in um, in, in angel investing or in investing via private family offices. So it was that point that we um, that we met Hassan, a fantastic guy who, um, as part of his family office, um, they they already had a setup in Saudi Arabia. They felt very very strongly about uh, what we're doing. He comes from a sort of family of of educators and people that are very connected to um, the education sector in Saudi Arabia. So this, what we're doing resonated with him um, immediately. Um, And and it made total sense for us. He was a a great culture fit for us um, on the board, uh, but also he had great strategic value for us in the Saudi market. So, So we did our seed round then, and that's carried us through um, till present day where, you know, luckily at this point we're we've reached a point of, of, of um, self-sustaining um, whilst we gear up to do our first sort of um, institutional Series A. So, you know, we expect that to close within the, the next few months, hopefully before the end of the year. Something I noticed, you said you did your seed, not when you launched, actually. So that means you bootstrapped it? Was it initially a bootstrapped operation? Not, not, not entirely. I mean, we, what we had in terms of angel investment was, was not massive. I mean, we're talking about just, uh, you know, really a couple hundred thousand dirhams. 
Um, so I guess it really depends on, on what the definition of bootstrapping is. Um, but we definitely didn't have a lot of funds. You know, we, we really tried to do as much as we could with um, as, as little funding as possible. Um, and, and, and that allowed us to, to really kind of get a good internal management discipline on staying lean and not, not, you know, not, not going too wild with our cash. So, so, so that we carried through when we got the seed round, we maintained that discipline. Um, and, and I think we're going to do the same, uh, when we get the, uh, series A. One thing I will say, I, I believe interns me out of a lot of the startups in the region really has their content game. I find the most useful content, even when I'm not looking for an intern or an employee at that time, there's a lot of useful information specifically related to recruitment. Sometimes it's tips and it's everywhere. It's not just, it's not, I don't need to go to the interns me blog. I find it almost everywhere within the region on different content sites, but even on your own blog and your own site, there's a lot of resources which you've actually just openly put in, like you don't even need to sign up or be a member of Interns Me, where other employers could use resources in terms of offer letter templates and even CV guides for uh, potential candidates who might not even be on the platform. So I, I feel like that approach has really helped bolster the brand in terms of this is a place for just useful resources to help you know with this employment issue. And one thing I wanted to bring up about that, there was something I noticed, I think it's new, I noticed something called Intern Diaries, and one of the first ones is actually yourself, right? So if you can maybe just explain what the Intern Diaries is, and maybe just go over a bit about that story that... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, you nailed it. That's exactly what we wanted to do. We made a decision early on not to make our content gated, because uh, really, we want to we want to get our message out there. We want to make it very easy for employers to consider hiring an intern or a graduate. We want them to have uh, whatever templates or guides um, and, and sort of points of reference are, are necessary for for that idea to build momentum internally. Um, so, so we made that decision early on that we're going to make as much publicly available content, uh, as possible. We have, um, we have a full-time person, uh, within the team now that's, that's, that's generating that content. She's doing a fantastic job. So the, the, the reception and the, the feedback that we've received has been, um, fantastic. So, you know, we're, we're, we're really happy we made that decision. Uh, and we really see it as a sort of mid to long term, um, strategy for us to 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 build that um to build our recognition to build that perception of us as as just having you know good valuable information that's free for people to access now for intern diaries it was something that we you know we we understood that um all around the world but particularly in this region um stories are very very valuable and uh stories are often far more easily remembered than statistics and um, you know, things that, that are kind of less personal or less relatable. So we really wanted to tell stories of people that have gone through, um, you know, gone through maybe some challenges of getting their career started, having that, that first internship, uh, first few internships, there might be some funny stories there or some like important learnings that they can share with people and then kind of highlight what, what was their career trajectory to get to wherever they're at today. So, you know, for me, that was telling my sort of 
sort of somewhat odd story of um, doing my first startup, then working as a pharmacist, then uh, coming back to the UAE and then uh, working in the pharma industry and then uh, eventually doing interns me. Um, but now our, our, our content team has gone out and met um, founders of other startups. Um, some startups that are doing incredibly well, like Deliveroo, um, speaking to senior management there and getting stories from those guys. So we, we, we already have kind of a... Um, a good sort of um, pipeline of people's stories to share, and that will be released over the coming weeks and months. Um, and I, I hopefully people find that valuable. I think what's important nowadays is that we're seeing a lot of people graduate having studied something like engineering or business, um, but then they end up going uh, going on to do something totally different. I think, in fact, the statistics nowadays say that uh, most of us are uh, going to end up in a different field from whatever we study in university. Um, and so that's also something that we want to highlight through these stories that it's it's perfectly okay not to have like a standard career path, and that what you'll find is um, most people's career path is not standard. There's something in there that um, it was unexpected or uh, led them to discover like a, a, a something that they were super passionate about and led them down a totally different path. So um, so I guess that's also something that we just want to highlight for for young people that. It, it's okay to do the unconventional. Um, it might actually work out for the better. I think you actually hit upon something that we also noticed ourselves when we were doing the podcast. We Just a few weeks ago, we were talking to Jad, one of the founders of Washman. He comes from an oil industry background. The fact that we study one thing, but we apply a lot of the learnings and adapt it for another industry, I think that's something that your series about intern diaries probably will hit upon yeah yeah definitely i mean for me personally i guess like i guess the one major cross transferable skill um so not to sound like someone that that compares myself to steve jobs but one of steve jobs greatest traits was this like you know um ruthless per perfectionism right that he he set these incredibly high standards that was something that i i picked up from my career as a pharmacist that You've got to be, you've got to have such an eye for detail. You've got to have impossibly high standards because if you make a mistake or if you cut corners, then, you know, that can really hurt people. You can do a lot of harm that way. So, you know, my couple of years of working as a pharmacist, I really got an appreciation for and developed that sort of eye for detail, that perfectionism. Um, and that's something that I've carried through here to try to, you know, push the team and make sure that we um, really you know, hold ourselves to the highest possible standards and just build really good services. So speaking of uh, advice, uh, what is the worst advice you see or hear given to job candidates in the market today? Well, I think I think they don't get enough advice. Uh, firstly, that a lot of universities will have a career services department, but it will usually be um, quite understaffed. So you might have a university of 3,000, 5,000 students and maybe just one or two people working in the career services department. So I think um, I think the first thing is that there's just not enough support and advice available for these guys. Um, and so what they end up doing is is getting very sort of old school advice from, from parents or uh, whatever they can find on Google that's not localized enough, right? So they'll have advice from, they'll, they'll find articles that are may, maybe relevant to other markets, not so relevant here. Um, but then when advice is given, if it's wrong, it tends to be, um, it tends to be stuff like, uh, you know, try to fit everything into your CV uh, as much as possible. And so we would see like a, a young graduate who has like, you know, maybe they've done a couple of internships and they'll have somehow a CV of like three or four pages. Um, and that's not, that's not what hiring managers want to see. It's not what they have time for. I mean, even my CV at this point, I've got uh, about 10 years of experience. Um, it's a one page CV. 
and that's like our recommendation to, to students and grads, right? You're, it, it, we're in a pretty competitive market where um, hiring professionals don't have a lot of time. So you really want to get your point across and highlight your whatever you've learned to date in that one page. Um, and so, and so, yeah. There's there's either not enough support and advice available, or the advice being given is, it's it's coming from a good place, but it's it's somewhat misinformed and it's not in line with actually what hiring managers want to see. Highlights probably rather than the full history. Yeah, and and, and I guess also the point I think um, I think it's very important for everyone to be unanimous in this message that your applications for 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 jobs or internships or jobs really needs to be as personalized as possible. So, I mean, everyone has seen this uh, this issue of uh, job applications, or I'm sure you've also received emails that start with a dear sir slash ma'am. And it's so impersonal that, you know, no effort has been made to reference anything about your company or about this job or why they're fit for it. Um, that it's just so easy to discard that. Um, it's so easy to bin that. And now if the job seeker is doing that for a job that they really care about, um, then you know, they're really not doing themselves any favors and they might really just be fast tracking themselves to get into the trash can. So I think it's really important that um, it's something that we advocate and the university should advocate and parents and everyone really should be telling people that, you know, just, just invest that little bit of extra time to personalize your applications. Because for an employer, especially a startup or an SME, to receive a personalized job application um, is a joy, right? To, to hear from someone that's actually passionate about this role uh, and your company and uh, that they've taken the time to articulate why they're a good fit for that, that's super exciting actually to receive. And, and you want to take that application seriously. And at the very least, you're going to reply to it because you feel obliged to, right? This person has made this application personal. Um, so so there's big value in that. And, and it's something that you know everyone should be um, encouraging young people to do. That leads into what I was going to ask next is, how do you personally go about evaluating candidates? So at the application stage, um, what I just mentioned, this sort of personalization, that is something for us that really helps people stand out and that we really get excited about when we see that. Um, so, so that's the first thing that might, you know, lead us to earmark an application. Say, you know, we really need to reach out to this person. But then, when they um, when they've come in for the interview, really, we look for um, for someone that's going to be. Uh, really, it boils down to two things. We want someone that's a great culture fit, but also someone that we believe has the potential to either immediately do this job or to quickly learn and be able to do this job. Um, but we don't look so much for, um, like, so for example, everyone thinks that, oh, maybe because you guys do HR, maybe everyone here has a HR background. I think it's really just one of our team members that actually studied HR. And for the rest of us, it's, um, you know, we have economics backgrounds, law backgrounds, psychology backgrounds, hospitality backgrounds, pharmacy, marketing. Um, you know, so a lot of us kind of uh, learned the subject matter once we came in. And we were able to do that just because we were passionate about this area. We believed in it. Um, and so that's what we look for, right? Culture fit, um, the ability to either do this job or to quickly learn this job as a result of being passionate and interested in, in learning about what we do. Um, I think the bottom line is that um, if it comes down to one or another, we would we would never hire anyone that we felt wasn't super passionate about our, our mission. It doesn't matter how talented or smart that person is. If they don't believe in helping the youth, uh, and if that's not something that they get excited about, then, you know, we, we, we wouldn't hire them. I assume you find that employee cultural fit is a very important thing to have. Like they really have to believe in either the mission you're working on or what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for us, having people that fit in with the culture 
Um, I mean, we see, we see, we see the benefits of that every day that, you know, uh, people aren't watching the clock. They love what they do. Um, it's developed a sense of ownership of, of, of the team members here. And it just amazes me when, you know, when I have people that, um, I, I don't need to ask them to stay, to stay late. They do it on their own accord. They work to completion because they really believe in what we're doing. So we're really sort of getting the dividends of, of that approach. And it's, I think it's something that not a lot of startups like to invest in because it's this sort of abstract, intangible concept, right? Building this culture. Um, but if but if you do invest in it, then really the mid to long term benefits are, are super clear, and and you know we're we're feeling that right now. And that's great. So uh, speaking of looking for that in a candidate, do you have any go to interview questions? Yeah, we 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 do have um, uh, several go to questions. I think. I think to to just highlight uh, to just highlight one that's an important one for us to get uh, an insight into the person's sort of psyche and approach is to ask them something along the lines of you know tell us about um, a project that you worked in as part of a team and that you were successful in and you can kind of pick up on the small things there that you know some people will will really highlight I did this and I and I and I and I and and the 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 team aspect gets gets really left behind right so it's like well. And, and, and that's not something that, that, that we like to hear. We really like to hear um, someone articulating what they did, but also the importance of the team and, and the interaction that they had with the team and how important that team was. Uh, because for us, teamwork is super important. And we don't want those very talented lone wolves that will you know not gel well with the rest of us or that will have an ego. It's very important for us. I mean, one of our cultures is, is you know, um, ideas over egos, right? So, so, you know, our guys, our team members, although they're talented, are extremely humble. And so we have questions like that and, and, and similar ones that just uh, aim to um, kind of unearth whether, whether this person is going to be a good team player. So let's just shift gears a bit and maybe f- talk about you yourself and just understand your habits in general. Do you have any morning routines or daily habits you tend to do? Uh, I tend to wake up really early, usually around 5.30 a.m. Um, I start by stretching. I just think that helps kind of get the, the blood circulation going. Um, I'd love to do some exercise, but I don't get to do that very often. I might do that once or twice a week. Uh, and then really what I do is I, 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 I do like a, a quick flurry of emails, um, anything that can just free up the day or, or give like give the team some some help and direction for them to get cracking in the morning. So that by the time I jump into meetings and I'm not able to, 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 to do my emails, at least it was taken care of first thing in the morning. So it's not uncommon for me to send out 10 or 15 emails while still at home. Um, and then I'll, I'll leave the house at around 8 a.m. Are you, are you the type of person who designates a time for emails in a day and then comes back to it? Or, or do you constantly check your phone? I guess the morning is, is, is the consistent time for it. Um, otherwise, I try to do it throughout the day so that it just doesn't accumulate and, um, uh, yeah, so that you don't reach a point that you have 30 unreplied, you know, emails sitting there in your inbox. Um, of course, there are some days that are just super busy and you can't avoid that. Um, and then I just have a simple system that, you know, we use Gmail here and I just star and tag emails so that they don't get forgotten about. So how do you define success? Well, I think, I think really, um, for me, success is, um, is, is happiness, right? Is, is finding uh, whatever it is that makes you personally happy and feel fulfilled. Um, for me, the happiness comes from doing something that I really love doing, 
that can impact people's lives and will hopefully be remembered or, or leave a lasting impact beyond my time. Um, for me, there's that sort of ambition to um, to build something that will outlast me, that will be somewhat of, of a legacy and that can continue helping people um, beyond my immediate involvement in it. So, to, for example, building a company that can self-sustain and, and help people find jobs um, without at some point, you know, maybe without my direct involvement or supervision or, and, and to have, uh, to have that, have that ongoing in a self-sustaining way. Um, that's something that I feel super passionate about. Um, and that's something that will, will make me feel successful. So uh, having an impact in what you do and actually being happy in your life, this is a bit of an introspection here, but what have you changed your mind about in the last few years? Like, was there a certain belief you had growing up? Yeah, um, I think I think it's, it's pretty common for me to reflect on things that I've done a couple of years ago or even a couple of months ago and kind of cringe and just think, oh, I could have done that so much better or with what I know now, I would have done that differently. I think the big one, um, really the big one for me is, um, is I just don't take... I don't take particularly good care uh, of myself. <laughs> I kind of put myself last in so many respects. I kind of, um, I'm, I'm too much of a workaholic to the point that I think it 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 becomes detrimental uh, to things. That I, th- I feel like I might lose productivity by not taking necessary breaks. And, and so if I were to do something um, uh, differently, um, it would really to be, you know, uh, have better managed some of my time and, and, being kinder to myself and not push myself to, to such unreasonable extents in recent years. I would definitely try, have tried to have changed that. It's something that I'm actively working towards now. Um, but of course, it's very difficult, right? It's very difficult when you have a startup that you love and that um, you believe in a lot and that you happily give your time to. And it also demands your time, right? Um, it's, it's difficult to strike that balance. Yeah, so... Yeah, that actually leads into what I was going to say, because you said you're a workaholic, but I also know you're married, right? So how do you try to maintain a balance? Is there a balance or no? Is it mostly work right now? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm really bad, and I owe a lot of people at some point a lot of uh, apologies um, in terms of, like, yeah, I've just, like, at, at, at so many points of this, you know, sort of journey in the last four years, I've, I've really neglected personal relationships um i think people have been great to really put up with my crap <laughs> put up with my just um you know continual sort of uh inavailability or um excuses or or having to bail out of various personal commitments um i've been pretty bad at that and and yeah it's not something that i i don't think that's sustainable i don't think you can you know do that for forever because uh, at the at some point you just miss out on like the other good aspects of life right so yeah, the balance just definitely hasn't 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 been really there, um, and and that's been exacerbated by you know I'm, I'm also doing my MBA now, so that just eats up more of my time. So the amount of time that I have for for friends and family is is really lacking. All right, uh, so that actually again leads into my next thing, which I was going to ask: What do you feel you're not very good at, or do you want to improve about yourself? So I, I would assume one is definitely this um, trying to work out the balance between personal and work. Is there anything else you think you want to try and improve about yourself? Well, I think um, I think I'm a great believer in in uh, agility and change. Um, so I've set an extremely high standard uh, for uh, the team and myself in that regard. 
But I, I sometimes find just because I think it's just part of being human that as as a human being, we, we tend to love routines, we tend to love habits, we tend to love the status quo ways of doing things. And every now and then I have to smack myself around the back of the head and say, well, wait a minute, that's not what we're about. And, you know, we should be actively pushing for change and evolution and embracing that. It should always feel uncomfortable. And um, I think I think we're actually okay in that. But I would love to push myself to an even higher standard to just continually embrace change, continually embrace uh, the unknowns. I mean, even small things like sometimes, you know, going to a restaurant and you just go for the option that you always know, right? Oh, I know that's tasty. And sometimes I have to remind myself like, hey, wait a minute, life's actually about trying new things. So let's let's order something new. Um, and, and so like, obviously that's a very sort of, um, menial kind of, kind of example of it, but I guess I just really want to hold myself to a very high standard in terms of embracing change and trying new things. So, uh, I'm going to jump into something or rapid fire questions. A simple one is just, if we were going to give you a billboard on Sheikh Zayed road, which is our, you know, our main highway here. Uh, what would what message would you put on it? And I don't mean any ad for interns, me, because you you might utilize that opportunity. But no, I mean a message you would put out there. I think I think an important message to get out to the people of Dubai is that um, it's very important that we help one another, that we're kind to one another, right? Um, there's 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 a temptation for people because it's a fast pace of life and and it's a competitive sort of market that you know it, it breeds this sort of um, maybe for some people elements of selfishness or narcissism and and I really don't like that I think people really need to slow down and to help one another and we'd all be better off so the message is help one another and that's particularly true on the road hell yeah <laughs> what are your personal obsessions like that you engage in on the weekends or evenings i know you said work but do you have any other hobbies so when i have some some downtime i really try to try to switch off um if possible the preferred option is to exercise um and not to do anything too adventurous i mean just just get some time in at the gym uh other than that a great way to to switch my mind off is is (laughs) is gaming so that's not something that's that's left me uh even since the early days with that first startup um, so I might do something like a bit of Starcraft. Uh, I love I love strategy games because they kind of uh, stimulate you mentally um, and, and are equally a good way to, to get your mind off other things. This is something we tend to ask our guests is what a dream initiative would you have for Dubai? Like if there was a moonshot project that Dubai could engage in or you could initiate yourself, what, what would it be? Um, well, it would be definitely something related to healthcare. Um, I think the healthcare industry here um, has a long way to go and can continue to to improve um, in 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 many aspects. So um, that that project would definitely be something around raising the quality of care um, and really making uh, Dubai um, a world player, um, you know, world class destination for for healthcare. That would be. Things like, you know, in the UK, we have the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, which is a body set up just to making sure that uh, doctors have the a proper evidence-backed guideline and framework for treating any disease. Um, we lack something like, as basic as that here. So what happens is if you go and visit one doctor, you'll get totally different recommendations and totally different prescription than from another uh, and I think that that breeds confusion, and it, it, that's just the basis for um, 
for for too much sort of opinionated uh, decisions in in healthcare, and really we should be adopting a, an evidence uh, approach, a backed approach to healthcare. So that could be one thing, or or just any any number of other projects aimed at just improving healthcare in, in Dubai. Another thing that I was really interested in is uh, again an initiative that's happening in the UK is electronic prescribing, right? Because there's um, so so many sort of um, negative incidences of of things happening. Uh, because of prescriptions being misinterpreted, right? Uh, right. The, the notoriously bad doctor's handwriting, and we're just like you know we're, we're we're going towards things like smart government and things. So it makes sense that we would do something like an electronic prescribing initiative, which also helps us gather data, which is super valuable for for the government as well. So something like that could be very cool. So what's your favorite documentary? Do you have a favorite documentary? Um, it's hard to say an exact favorite. Uh, one that I've watched a few times and that I really like is Inside Job. I think it does. Um, it's really great at just showcasing and helping a layperson understand what happened in the financial sector that led to the um, economic crisis in 2008. Uh, I think it's important for people that um, aren't aren't working in the financial sector to understand some of those drivers, so that you know, so that everyone can make more informed decisions, and so that people don't. Um, you know, don't fall prey to you know sort of shady schemes, and and so that hopefully that we you know <laughs> learn from uh, the lessons there and don't fall into the same mistakes again. Yeah. Well, now we actually see a lot of these ICOs, uh, initial coin offerings, and yeah, it, do- it doesn't look good. <laughs> so, um, what piece of advice would you give your twenty-year-old self? Um, I think there'd be tons of advice I'd give myself in terms of um, how to conduct business. I, I really think that first startup of mine could have could have gone really differently i i i see that i i worked really hard i don't think i worked particularly smart um i think i was a little bit naive um so i'd give myself tons of business advice but i'd also make sure that uh, at that point coming back to what i said earlier that i i tried to build in just a more sustainable approach to working that you know you can work hard but but make sure you don't neglect other areas of your life because um it 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 adds up and at some point you feel like for example now like my immune system is totally shot i've had three bad viruses in the last like six months um and at no given point at at, at sort of at the end of each of these um viruses i didn't i just didn't allow myself i didn't take the the one or two extra days needed really to to have a proper recovery i just came back straight to work so i i would probably try to resolve that from an earlier point um, before I before I <laughs> develop this rampant uh, workaholism. So it's work smart and take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, work smart, take care, or, or work hard, rest hard, or play hard. I uh, just want to end with, uh, where can our listeners go to find more information either about you, interns, me, what's the best place to go? So if, if they go to internsme.com, they'll... Um, They'll find many of the things that we spoke about. Uh, if it's an employer, they'll be able to post an internship, traineeship, or graduate job. If it's a job seeker, they'll be able to obviously search and apply for these kind of positions. If they're just interested in the content, then they're able to find that free content on our blog. Um, if they then want to find our social media, all the links are there as well. Um, our handle on all the channels is the same. It's just interns Emmy. So um, they can find us on Facebook or LinkedIn or anywhere like that. And if someone wants to reach out to you? Someone wants to reach out to me. Um, I, I try to make myself as accessible as possible. Um, so they can just drop me an email. It's just jean, J-E-A-N, at internsme.com. Uh, or they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, or they can just call the office. Very accessible CEO. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me.
You can check out this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com slash internsme. We'd love to connect with you, so follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.